If you would, let's stand for a moment as I read from Romans chapter 8, verse 20 to 39. I'll use the New King James translation, which is my preferred translation. I have come to like the ESV quite a bit. I use my personal reading at home. And of course, our theme this morning, Perseverance of the Saints. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to 39, that wonderful, wonderful passage, almost at the very middle, so to speak, of the, of, of the, the, the biblical declaration of God to us. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. And for whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestinated, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Note, and I'll be touching on this in a while, past tense. It's done. Glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who dies. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And may I add, even now, in this hour, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written? Old Testament, brought John, you around? Pastor John, here comes the Old Testament. For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Oh, but hallelujah, yet in all these things, we, the local church pastor Marcellus, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, says Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that neither death nor life no angels, no principalities, no powers, no things present, no things to come, no height, no depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a wonderful passage of scripture. What a trumpet call. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your wonderful word to us. Oh, God, we rejoice. We a move to the core of our being when we hear your words to us, Father. Such assurance. <clears throat> such words guaranteeing our preservation and our perseverance. Father God, we do thank you. Thank you for the conference. We thank you for all the wonderful words you've given us by your messengers this week. And we have been much refreshed, Father. And must strengthen. The battles grow. The battles grow deeper. We pray for courage as we go out into the world. And keep us, Father, brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, single parents, widows, elderly, our young people. Keep us, O oh God, without you we cannot keep ourselves. We ask your blessings now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Please be seated, thank you.
perseverance of the saints, pastors who have been involved in the work of ministry for many years, maturing saints, aging believers, as well as younger followers of Christ, all need the certain assurance of our salvation. We need encouragement and exhortation to remind us that those who have been saved by the grace of God will persevere in the face of failures, indwelling sin, the seductive power of the world, the deceits of the enemy of our souls. We must live by faith in God's clear and unmistakable word, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The late R.C. Sproul, who I'm convinced is one of the best teachers of our time, discussing this foundational doctrine, has offered a parallel phrasing, preservation of the saints. And J.I. Packer, in his introduction to John Owen's The Death of Death in the Death of Christ, writing of Tulip, also uses the phrase, preservation of the saints. And indeed, this rephrasing, I heard actually Pastor Parallel use that term this month I came up, this rephrasing preservation underlines that the saints persevere because they are preserved. Oh friends, you and I brothers and sisters, we are kept not by our own weak abilities but by the persevering grace of God. The Apostle Peter, in a strong parallel text, writing of the certain guaranteed inheritance of the elect saints, affirms that we the Lord's chosen people, the Israel of God, 1 Peter 1, 3-8, are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is not only the capstone of the tulip framing of the doctrines of God's sovereign grace as reaffirmed by the Synod of Dort, 1618-1619, but it's the clear, unmistakable conclusion of all the major texts that set out in the words of Charles Spurgeon, the quote, the sovereignty of God in his dispensation of grace. The sovereignty of God in, the, in his dispensation of grace. Among these texts are the golden chain of Romans 8.20-39, the justification and reconciliation texts of Romans 5.1-11, Pastor Jonathan dealt with that yesterday. And the greatly assuring words of our Lord Jesus in John 6, 37-40 and John 10, 27-30. And the Apostles' confident proclamation to the Philippian church that the Sovereign Saviour, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. Praise His name indeed. When one's eyes are opened to the sovereign grace of God in our salvation, to the guarantees of security given to believers. One finds texts everywhere in the Holy Book of God, in both Old and New Testaments, that reinforce this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, their preservation forever. Because the triune Godhead of Father, Son and the Holy Spirit persevere in and with them, for whom the blood of the eternal covenant was shed. Quote, while we, you and I, were yet in our sins. Romans 5.8 And Romans 5.10 says, For if, when we were enemies, 
we were reconciled to God. And through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Reconciliation. Romans 5 again, Pastor Jonathan looked at that. We have been reconciled to God. Let's not run past that too quickly. You and I have been reconciled to God and we needed to be reconciled. As to Armenian fairs and propositions across many denominations that preservation and perseverance are not guaranteed and that one can be saved and lost that believers cannot have assurance of their salvation we trace these doubts and uncertainties to the, their fundamental errors at the starting block with their wrong views of man's natural condition we came out through the conference already several times our natural condition and they refuse to recognize the total depravity of man I was much moved and taken by Pastor Ambazi's message the very first in this in this series total depravity seen through David and now we struck to the core if all of us listen carefully we pastors we teachers struck to the core thou art the man not the devil we They refuse to recognize the total depravity of man. You must start in man's natural condition. If you are not regenerated, we cannot believe. <clears throat> yes, many still say, well, you got to believe and then you'll be born again. Hello, I'm sorry. As we say in Creole, I am dead, I have no life, I cannot believe, I cannot have faith, I have no ability. And the texts are very clear. They refuse to recognize the total depravity of man, his death in trespasses and sins, his utter inability to respond to the love and grace of God. They do not acknowledge that God the Father has given and elects people to his Son. And these and these alone the Lord Jesus has certainly, wholly and totally redeemed by his atoning, substitutionary death. They cannot believe, or they will not believe. The goats. <laughs> they cannot believe that the father's calling of his elect children to his beloved son is effectual and will not be resisted. Irresistible grace, effectual calling. And they've not seen able to fathom that no one can snatch the predestined. <laughs> The called, the justified, the redeemed from the hand of the Father or the Son. How do they read the words of Jesus in John 6 and 10? No one can snatch them from my hand or from the Father's hand. Double, I think in, in, in TV they talk about double jeopardy. I'm not sure what double jeopardy exactly means. But double security. No lame papa, no lame fisla. You are in the hands of the Father and the Son. Oh, this is wonderful. How those who carry that error cannot then accept, logically and sadly, that elect will be glorified. Even along the way, like a David or Peter, and they fail most terribly. 
to be faithful to their Lord and Shepherd. And we pastors and all the saints, we need to search our lives and our hearts where these matters are concerned. The problem of indwelling sin in believers. I don't know about you, but the older I get, I must confess to you, I turned 72 as I was joking, Pastor and Pastor said, Oh, you're 73? I was 71 in May. I'm just behind you, catching what you said. No, you can't catch up with me. The Apostle Paul said, The old man grows more corrupt. Well, those of us who have a little gray hair on our heads can tell you, Oh, yes! In the deep privacy of our hearts, God have mercy upon us all. Even as believers, unless the Lord keeps us, my friends, we can stand and preach and show, but God knows what's happening inside here with us. Except the Lord keeps us. And I speak especially to us older, older pastors, especially the leaders here. Never take ourselves for granted. I think somebody said, you dare not trust yourself. You better not trust yourself and younger, younger men, younger women around there. You better learn early. Don't trust yourself. Yourself will betray you. Indwelling sin is very popular. John Owen says, and of course the Apostle Paul, it is a law, a principle within us. Romans chapter 7. But these are the deep contradictions inherent in Armenian and similar anti-sovereign grace views. Let's just keep our Bibles open to our reading in Romans 8, 20 to 39. Romans 20 to, uh, 8, 20 to 30. The elect saints of God will persevere because God, by His sovereign grace, His electing, predestinating love, will persevere with them. Hallelujah. And will preserve them till they gain the promised inheritance. And these wonderful words I love from peace, 1 Peter 1 4. That inheritance, you know these wonderful words, incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And Pastor Brown touched on that last night. Enter the kingdom, prepared for you before you were even thought out, before you were born, from before the foundation of the world. Oh my goodness. And I don't think we Christians fully appreciate what we are. We still look into the world. We live in the world, we gotta come and go, I agree. But we still look into the world for we have a kingdom with treasures we can't even imagine. That wonderful text called the golden chain of our redemption, Romans 8 20 to 30, must surely stand at the fulcrum and the center point of the faith and life of all God's true people of ancient Israel and today's Israel of God. Those verses set up God's clear, decisive, irrevocable, eternal plan of salvation of His chosen people from His foreknowledge of them personally, aside, know them. <clears throat> Not His foreknowing of the possibility <clears throat> that they would of their own free will, are our wills free? Choose Him. I will touch on this in a while. Some people say, when God foreknew you what it was, He knew one day you would come and hear the gospel, you make a decision for Christ, you walk up there, okay, I will choose that one. Forget it. I'm going to say in a while later, God foreknows persons. Okay. From His foreknowledge of them personally, to their certain glorification, which is taken in the text as a certain conclusion. And these he also glorified. Past tense. Fet accompli. Mission accomplished. Accomplished by the Lord for whom the impossible is possible. 
This text of Romans 8, especially verses 18 to 39, cover the redemption history of humanity from the great fall of Eden. Look at Romans 8. Wonderful things. The very creation is standing on tiptoe, looking for you and me, who are the sons of God. Do we treat our animals well? Uh, I'm not diverting here, you know. So the animals looking for the sons of God, the creation itself will be redeemed. That's a topic for dinner table. <laughs> These texts cover the redemption history of humanity. From the great fall of Eden to the cosmic restoration. Cosmic, total restoration. As a book of Acts the restitution of all things. We have a wonderful future, you know. Pastor Jones, I'm about to teach you. It's not in Mr. Trump's land. <laughs> or wherever it might be. No, no. I just tease. These texts cover the redemption history of humanity. From the great fall of Eden to the cosmic restoration promised in the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. These days I live more and more for the kingdom of God. We must do what we can in our societies. We must be salt and light. At times I think we must protest if things are going on. I think we have to be the prophetic voice. I believe that. But after all is said and done, that's the world. God will allow them to do what they want to do. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So my eyes are more and more, especially like with Pastor Basil, the gray hair increases. I'm looking for the kingdom of God. Where righteousness dwells. No matter what may happen in between with our weak and foolish selves, as we make our pilgrimage, it's a pilgrimage, we are aliens, through this fallen world of sin and death. No matter the afflictions of our indwelling sinful nature, see Romans 7, 14 to 24, for a sobering reminder of what is happening within us, even the redeemed. In my mind, I want to do what is right. Oh, but I see within my members a law when I want to do what is right, I do what is wrong. There's sin within me. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And we as older saints, mature saints, must see with Paul that view of our real selves where we are and see the spiritual warfare within. When we cry out to God, oh God, you alone can hold me, keep me, save me, close to you, if I'm at all to be of use to you, to the people to whom you send me, Lord. Of myself, I'm still total depravity. Oh, if you miss that, you, you miss everything else. The doctrines of grace begin there with our natural conditions. Our natural condition. Our Lord Jesus says clearly, uncompromisingly, unmistakably, this is the will of the Father who sent me. I also love that phrase, the Father who sent me. I love to meditate on those words. And he says it again and again and again. He was sent, the Messiah. That all he has given me, ah, I should lose nothing. I shall lose nothing, but should raise up for the last day. There is a last day coming. Don't forget, we said, yes, he was saying after Marcellus spoke, I was saying, Marcellus, you know, digs under our comfort zones. There is a last day coming. And such an hour as you think not. It could be today. Anybody here can tell me, no, it can't be today, that's impossible. Oh my, God. my friend, in such an hour, you think not. The Son of Man comes. There's a last day coming. All that's happening in the world these days. Corruption, 
murders, domestic abuse, child abuse, pride parade in every island now, and you can't speak up against that in Martinique because they will find you. And to all those of us in the English-speaking Caribbean, it's coming in my own country to get ready for their own march. God will judge. Let us look a little more closely at our main text to remind ourselves of our preservation and perseverance. Now I've got a time. Let us test ourselves concerning this fundamental tenet of our faith, perseverance of the saints. Let us be encouraged as we hear again the inspired word of our God. Let us understand the pressure why we persevere in this ancient and trustworthy faith. Come back here just a minute. Don't lose me now. Hold on, folks. It's getting my... Come on. Sorry, I seem to have a seizure here on my tablet. Trying to get back to my... Okay, let's go. Good. Okay, we got it now. Okay. Romans 8.28 and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. There is a purpose at work in this world. This morning, Dean Scott and I were listening to um, the Redeemer Broadcasting and there was a program on. And they were, uh, Sproul was saying, for today, in today's world, chance has become one of the new mythologies. By chance. <laughs> Sorry. There is a purpose at work in this world. There's a divine purpose operating in the lives of God's elect people, his blood-bought church. If despite personal failures, disappointments, various trials, we can say today from the heart that we love the Lord, we do not desire to be anywhere else except in his service, and as we are set to run the race to the end, that we abhor continuing in sin of any kind, then we give proof that we have been effectually called by God. And that he has given us to his beloved son. And therefore we know that all things, no matter how incomprehensible, are working together for our good, called as we are according to his purpose. We know that we are in his service, in his house, his household and family, only by his sovereign grace. And we know on the authority of scripture that his purpose for us will be completed. How can it not be? Verses 29 and 30. This text reveals the unbreakable chain of God's eternal purpose for his elect saints. James Boyce has made this point about foreknowledge in response to those who propose that the foreknowing here refers to God's knowing men's arbitrary decision to come to him, therefore he saves them. You get that? People say foreknowing of God, we say God foreknew. It refers to God's knowing men's arbitrary decision, but I will come to God today, man, I will walk up the aisle to come to him. Therefore, God will say, okay, I will save him. I will save her. Huh. A major error is embedded in this view. Here is the late voice. Quote, the word foreknowledge is never used in reference to events or actions as advanced knowledge of what one would or might do, but always of persons whose lives are affected by that foreknowledge. See Romans 11.2. I just wonder about Romans 11.2. So it makes the point. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Romans 11.2. And there's a text in 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. I just want to look at that. 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
To whom? To the pilgrims, people of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. God follows persons from before the foundation of the world. He knew who he was going to save. Not what we would never come to him. We would never do what we think we would do. How many people have pastors here have seen people walk up as and you don't know where they are right now? But if you meet them in the road, they don't even want to talk to you. But they once walked up the aisle and they waved their hands and they jumped around and they were even baptized and some even arrived at pulpits. And some even sat down in pastors' chairs. Persons are fallen by God and the result is their predestination to an effectual calling, justification and glorification. Ephesians 1, 1-14 is the great teaching on election we touched on that last night again on election, predestination, adoption, redemption according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself verse 9 in that purpose we have obtained a guaranteed inheritance made sure by the sealing with the Holy Spirit of promise we should, we should get into our treasure box more you know if we don't get the source the origin of our salvation right no following assumptions will be correct including those that concern our perseverance and preservation Ephesians 2 1-10 is very clear it is God in his grace who gives totally dead men life you church at Ephesus you Christian believers down in the ages you in the Old Testament times you, he made alive who were not feeling so good who were a little psychologically messed up who were well you know nice guys and girls Ute more you were dead you were on the earth buried under sin you he made alive when he regenerates you he gives you a new life you are born again born from above Regeneration is where it starts. You know, but there's a calling and so on. When God is ready for you, He calls you effectually. And He raises you from the dead and the grave of your sin. Our sins, our death. Man's natural condition before the new birth, the birth from above, is death and sin. God, by His grace and mercy, calls man out of a totally lost state of spiritual death. Man is unable to respond to God. We must stop there. Man in his natural condition cannot respond to God. The Bible is clear. God must take the initiative while we were yet in our sins. While I was yet sick. While Saul of Tarsus was on his way to kill Christians, God needs him. Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> Pastor Page. Look at me, what I've done, man. I build this place, man. Remember Herod also in the New Testament? Walking about in his pride. In case of Nebuchadnezzar, God put him down and from what we can see, he seems to be a saved man. God must take the initiative by electing, choosing and calling. Ephesians 2.47 has summarized, but God who is rich in mercy. You know, we love to preach on those texts, but God, I'm sure you've done it, I've done it. You, your servant is, but God. 
But indeed, given what went before, but God, who is rich in mercy. Oh, hallelujah. Friends, we need mercy, you know. Right now. Because of his great love, do we appreciate how much God loves us? Friends, you, you all are getting the faith. more we need to meditate on these things we've known since we began the Christian life. For God so loved the world, he gave. Stop and contemplate 40 years later as a believer what those words mean. For God so loved love. I can barely love my wife. I can barely love my wife or my husband. I barely love my children. I'm caught up with so much stuff within me. And it keeps me from being patient, being kind, being long-suffering. There's a great text I've always found most challenging. Peter says, we have to love one another with a pure heart. Fervently. We also love Brother Paragon with a pure heart. Don't smile to him and think, ah, that old man, whatever. I'm supposed to love him fervently. Is that not a challenging text? Think about the love of God for us. Because of the great love which he loved us, he made us alive. He raised us up. But hear this one. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. You know the Bible says, even right now, you and I, we can't believe it. What? I'm sitting in heaven, in heavenly places, all spiritual blessings given to me. Where, how? But Lord, <laughs> look what I did last night, Lord. Lord, me, Lord. <laughs> he says, we are sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This Christian faith is wonderful, you know. The more I have from the atheists and the doubters and the scoffers, the more I say, Lord, thank you. They help me to appreciate my faith even more. Yes, go on. Election, calling, regeneration, precede faith, repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. I want to repeat. Election, calling, regeneration, precede faith, repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. By grace are you saved through faith. God, not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Many Christians, man must believe before he can be regenerated. But how can he hear and believe when he's dead in sins, dead to God? God must give man the new birth, regeneration before any new life can begin. Jay Packer, in that introduction to John Owen's classic study, writes, where the Armenian says, I owe my election to my faith. The Calvinist says, I owe my faith to my election. The Armenian says, I owe my election to my faith. The Calvinist says, I owe my faith to my election. Indeed, salvation is of the Lord totally and completely. And this salvation is from start to finish, from foreknowledge of and by God to ultimate glorification. And in that chain is the guaranteed perseverance of the saints. John Murray has written that the effectual call ensures perseverance. The effectual call ensures perseverance because it is grounded in the security of God's purpose and grace. And then we are reminded of our Lord's absolute words in John 6 and 10. Those whom the Father has given to him will come to him. No one can snatch them from his or the Father's hands. And he will certainly assuredly raise them at the last day. Thomas Watson the Puritan writes, The heavenly inheritance, the heavenly inheritance is kept for the saints and they are kept for the inheritance. Heavenly inheritance is kept for the saints and they are kept for the inheritance. Reference again, 1 Peter 1 through 5. 
we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time we are kept by the power of God perseverance through the glorification is also assured and guaranteed in the text of Romans 5 Pastor Jonathan that speak of our justification through the blood of Christ and our irrevocable reconciliation to God Romans 5, 8 to them Conclusion Romans 8, 31-39 The Apostle Paul will clinch the argument in the final verses of that central chapter of the Bible which has in view all of redemption history from the tragic fall into sin death and condemnation to God's glorious, gracious provision of atonement, salvation, reconciliation, restoration of elect mankind through the sacrifice of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 31-39 In a kind of breathless, triumphant finale to a great heavenly chorus, he challenges doubters, mockers, deniers, unbelievers, apostates, those in theological error, even the fearful among God's people. Even the accusers of the kingdom of darkness to dispute on any grounds the safety, security, preservation, perseverance of God's chosen people. He puts the question. You know, we have this expression we carry then. He put question to me, man. You all know that expression, I don't you make a happen. You ever that expression? The man put question to me. <laughs> the Apostle Paul puts the question and he gives the unanswerable responses. If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, wonderful. Faced by the great historical fact of Christ's atoning death and glorious triumphant resurrection, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who brings a charge against God's elect? Speak up now, forever hold your cursed tongue. <laughs> Who brings a charge against God's elect? Whom he has declared judicially just and righteous. Who condemns? Who separates God's people from his eternal love given from before the foundation of the world? Ephesians 1 4. Who can or will snatch his elect from the hands of the Father and the Son? Who, who, what, what? The only answer no one, nothing. <laughs> Our Pentecostal brothers is always trampling down Satan. I say, uh, don't waste time with over here. The time I should be praising Jesus, I'm going to give him glory to Satan, trampling down. Satan has no power except what God alone, like a bad dog on a leash. He can't separate me from the hand of my God because of my foolishness. He may call me to stumble, he may put bait in front of me, which I foolishly take my eyes off Christ and I follow him. He cannot remove me, the elect and chosen and saved and redeemed from the hand of my Savior. Yes, Satan go his way, man. You praise the Lord. You don't waste time with this trampling dog. It's a waste of time, man. Hallelujah. Who condemns? Who can or will snatch the elect from the hands of the Father? Son? Who, who, who? The only answer is no one, nothing. God's elect people will persevere. As the Lord perseveres in and with them, they will be preserved even against their own sins and failures. That's a sobering reality. They will be preserved against the hatred of the world, and the world is hating us more and more. Persecution is on already, you know. We may not be getting beheaded, but listen carefully. Even our own society. Listen to the talk shows. Don't be like the frog in the water and the water is boiling and you die. Be aware of the world around us, friends. Listen to what people are saying about the Bible and Christians and the real Jesus and serious Christians. P. 
people of God be preserved against the hatred of the world and demons. God has placed his great mercy and love on his people. And his sovereign grace is irreversible and irrevocable. In fact, they already sit with him in heavenly places, glorified forever, already by his grace alone. The perseverance of the saints, elect, called, and justified by the blood of Jesus, the blood of the eternal covenant, is certain and sure. They, you and I, by God's grace alone, hallelujah, will persevere. We are his, and he is ours. Amen. But if we hope what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Romans 8, 25. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, Maranatha. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. The saints will persevere, because God is preserving us. Let's confess our sins, let us be in a state of repentance, especially those who are older and leaders. <clears throat> that God may cleanse us first and use us in His service more and more. Don't take our faith for granted. Don't become complacent. Don't sit in our comfort zones. But remember these great truths of our faith revealed in the Old and New Testament, the whole Bible. The doctrines of God's sovereign grace, God's great love and mercy. Go forth in that confess. No matter where I go, God is taking care of me. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. Praise his name.